We acknowledge the Wandri and Boonrong people of the Kulin Nation on whose land we record today. We pay our respects to elders past and present. We recognise the deep connection First Nations people have with land and water, and we recognise the ongoing pain caused by colonisation and dispossession. Sovereignty was never ceded. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome everyone to another episode of Loud, Angry and Not Sorry, where we talk about news, current events and politics from a feminist perspective. My name's Leah and this week we have, I have, Kate with me. Hi Lee, how's it going? Good, good. Katie has been on the show before. Um, Is it a show? Do we call it a show? Is a podcast a show? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Katie's been on the show with us before. Um, Katie's background is in social work, uh, in primarily domestic violence and in housing. housing. Yeah. Which is wonderful, considering (laughs) today we're going to be talking about social housing. A quick shout out, Carly couldn't make it today. She's had so much on with work and things. So capitalism has claimed Carly for this week also. So the Victorian government has announced this amazing, huge package. And, um, yep. yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, earlier in the week, I think it was earlier this week, I don't know, COVID, everything kind of just what is rolls time? into one. Announced a $5.4 billion package of an injection into um, uh, what they called the Big Housing Build, which aims to create 12,000 homes in the, over the next four years and about... A little over three quarters of those will be set aside for um, social housing, which is amazing. So I keep getting confused as to what social housing is because ah, we've got social mm. housing, we have public housing, yep. we have community, community housing. housing. There's transitional housing. There's the rental national rental affordability scheme. There's you might have heard of commission housing as well, okay. offers of housing. They're all, yeah. Considering we've got so many housing programs, how are people still homeless? (laughs) (laughs) This is intense. (laughs) Maybe rather than go through everything, because we're going to try and keep it to under an hour, um, (laughs) do you mind just running through the difference between uh, social housing, public housing and community housing? Sure, sure. So social housing is a broad umbrella term that includes everything that isn't private housing so social housing generally falls into two categories uh, public housing and community housing public housing is housing that is owned and run by the state government so this has previously been been called um, like office of housing commission housing they're they're all one and the same so they yeah they're run by dhhs they charge 25 percent of your income and it generally is yours for life um, and some of the big towers that we've seen in the news over the, the time that we've had have been uh, public housing properties so those massive towers those massive high-rise towers they're um, public housing community housing is housing that uh, is generally run by non-for-profit groups so organizations like um, Southport Community Housing Group um, Port Phillip Community Housing Group which aren't called Port Phillip anymore I think that's it's housing first uh, YWCA housing first is that a Paul Hansen initiative <laughs> no no very much no <laughs> They, they also have, uh, they run what's called community housing. So that's housing that's structured a little bit differently. They generally charge about 25 to 30% of your income. 
um, and the, the waiting times can be a little bit different. And I think generally more in community housing, there's, there's more properties available for single people. Because mm. I think one bedroom flats for office of housing is generally harder to come by. That's my understanding. Yeah, cool. And we were talking earlier about essentially community housing is privately run. Have I got it around the right way? So public housing is run by DHHS and community <coughs> housing is run by uh, non-for-profit organizations yeah so they that aren't government that aren't well yeah um i think that's probably a, the key difference yeah yeah what it sounds like is that social housing hang on have i said it wrong again yes i have community housing the not-for-profit organizations will ta- will take their rent as like 25 to 30 percent of your income but then they also take your rent assistance yeah that's cr- uh, that's my understanding i think yeah, i'm not sure if each organization does it a little bit differently um but yeah so so with public housing you generally once you get public housing you're generally not eligible for rent assistance anymore mm-hmm. you're you're rent is deemed kind of affordable at 25 percent of your income but in community housing i know some of them they will charge 25 percent of your income and then if you are getting rent assistance they'll they'll take that as well and my understanding that that is to cover the costs of running you know housing kind of programs and properties and supports and Mm. tenancies and you know tenancy sort of related things that without the resources that the government has behind them i guess but aren't these organizations also they have government funding they are (sighs) eligible for grants yeah Yep, but they are, I mean, they are all meant, you know, they are all non-for-profit organisations, I guess, with the, if they yeah. are making money, that the expectation is that they would be putting it back into the properties. The yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd like... I'd, I'd be very interested to see, like, um, how much the CEO is earning mm. and all that kind of stuff. And I think it probably varies really wildly. Yeah. Um, like, you know, there'd be smaller kind of grassroots community-led ones that have cropped up because of you know affordable housing issues that have been ongoing for a long time whereas others that are run by like really large corporations yeah corporations but much larger organizations yeah i but if to be a community housing um provider you have to be registered with the i think it's called chia now the chia chia used to be called community housing victoria now it's chia victoria that's right The access pathways are very similar. So the um, way to get onto the waitlist is through the Victorian Housing Register. Generally the same for community housing, but not all. Um, So whilst this, you know, massive housing funding injection is like incredibly welcome and our 12,000 homes over the next four years is amazing. We also know that there are about 80,000 people on Mm. the public housing waiting list in Victoria. So, you know, it's nothing to be sniffed at, but... um, I think that's the right phrase, but but there's still a long way to go. I've been mixing my metaphors all week. Yeah. It's been really bad. I don't it's kind know. Kind of fun though. Yeah, yeah. Keep it, keep it fresh. Keep it new. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I, I just I don't understand why they don't want to build public housing. Hang on, have I said the right yeah, thing again? Yeah, no, this is correct. Yeah. So Victoria has um, some of the lowest rates of social housing in the country, and I think Australia as a whole is quite well below the rest of the like. OECD kind of mm. average. Um, Victoria's actually lost public housing properties over the mm. last little while. You know, places have been torn down and redeveloped, and um, you know, properties have sort of been uh, replaced with you know other things that are and not necessarily public housing. It might be a mix of like public housing and um, 
affordable housing and then like kind of you know cheaper sort of yeah. housing that's designed more at like sort of 70 or 80 percent of the market rate rather than for you know exclusively kind of people on pensions on Centrelink mm. yeah it, it seems like I, I just I don't understand why they're pushing so hard for private services it means that these multiple services are going to have to have normal organizational costs like rent and paying CEOs and paying secretaries and electricity and things like that. So if you have multiple sites running, it just it just makes more sense to me. And it seems like it would be so much cheaper just to build public housing. Yeah, yep. Like, so there's discussion about spot purchasing homes, which is great. Um, there is a, a large amount of money for um, community housing projects. That's true. I guess I think community housing can entail more supports than a traditional public housing can. If you're mm. linked in with a an organisation that can potentially link you in with that, you know, they could potentially link you in with a case manager or a, like um, someone who can kind of coordinate some, you know, what services are around and maybe yeah. provide some like group activities for you know a particular group of residents whereas i don't think you, the office of housing generally or public housing generally doesn't have that kind of support but is that just a funding issue it doesn't i mean it doesn't like there aren't it doesn't have that kind of model of support isn't built into the office of housing yeah so it would need that need to either outsource it or like develop it. really develop yeah yeah, yeah. Um, whereas i think um the the sort of the community housing providers have that model in place already Mm. I think the real thing that really gets me is like obviously with um, public housing or government housing that it's for life. Yeah. Like and that it's sorted. Is that guarantee with social? That's a good question. Community housing. Community housing. Oh, I'm going to have to write this on a post-it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question and I'm not actually 100% sure. Tenancies in community housing generally continue until the tenant decides to leave or the tenancy becomes unsustainable. I'm reading this off the housing.vic.gov.au website. Mm. So it seems like it's fairly similar to public housing. And like similarly, there's a lease, uh, you know, it falls under the, um, the Residential Tenancies Act. People have the same rights and responsibilities that they do in public housing. But yeah, according to this website, it largely looks like it's the same. Hmm. And there's that other thing as well that like it is actually cheaper, like the evidence supports that it's cheaper just to give people homes. Oh, absolutely. Like multiple studies across the world, different kind of models of housing, that housing first model where people decide finally to house people and then assist people to work on whatever issues they may have and to not withhold housing on the basis that they engage in said kind of programs and things works really well so there's this you know some places that'd be like right we'll give you this you know this property but you have to engage in um this particular like drug and alcohol service and mm. if you don't then you're not eligible for this particular kind of housing whereas the housing first models is like no it's going to be a lot easier for you to work on these issues if you've got housing and you've got stable housing and you, you don't have you know a caseworker kind of on your back yeah um who's got pressure to make sure that you're still engaging in order to be eligible. Yeah. And we've sort of seen with the COVID in Victoria that that we can end sleeping rough if we choose to put everybody into motels and effectively Mm. um, ended the need for people to sleep rough in the the city at least. Mm. And it absolutely doesn't end, hasn't ended homelessness. Um, There are many, you know, lots of different ways that you can be homelessness and the majority of it's hidden. So that's things like people couch surfing, in crisis accommodation, sleeping in their cars, 
you know, all those sort of things that you you might not see on the street at night, but mm. you know, it's definitely there. Yeah. But in terms of rough sleeping, we've gen, you know, yeah, we've seen that if we choose to, we can end that. Yeah, absolutely. Putting people into motels. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's a really strong link between stable housing and improving your mental health. Absolutely, absolutely. And like, it's really expensive to rely on things like um, hospital presentate. You know, people present to the hospital when they're you know sleeping rough and really unwell. Like, you know, it's a lot cheaper to provide people with stable housing than having to kind of come up with this entire sort of resource sector to support people when they are sleeping rough with mm. like hospitals and mental health health services. Yeah. I know when I yeah. was when I was working in acute inpatient, we would quite often have people present to hospital for for an inpatient mission when they had nowhere to live. Yeah, yeah. It's like the last resort and you know, and then the hospital's kind of stuck cuz they're like, well, we can't quite just discharge people straight into homelessness, but obviously there's like not, you know, an incredibly small number of like emergency accommodation beds and mm. that kind of thing like it, it yeah it's it's um it's really tricky and crisis accommodation is just it's so I don't want, not impractical what's the word inappropriate it's, yeah yeah absolutely it really can be um you know having a, a, a really large mix of people who you know sharing facilities with everyone and maybe being exposed you know if you you trying to move away from you know if you're trying to sort of maintain um uh, not using drugs but moving into somewhere where you know that there's going to be a lot of drugs is you know like it's really you know doesn't yeah. work for a lot of people yeah, no, absolutely. they're also really expensive to run crisis yeah. accommodation facilities yeah they can't they yeah i mean i used to work for one for a really long time and i think they did some amazing work really amazing work mm-hmm. but it definitely doesn't work for everyone now i i tried to promise carly that i wouldn't put my 5g hat on again but i'm going to just for 30 seconds so i'm kind of breaking a promise carly and i'm sorry but also i love you and it's fine but like the the lockdown of the towers i really Mm. yeah when when the cops were all doing that and they were surrounding it and talking about like so densely populated and you know the one elevator all that kind of stuff i was just like i bet should they use this as an opportunity to say this is how bad the public towers are we're going to knock yep. them down, sell the land, and then we're going to grow into social housing. By social housing, I mean community like housing and more of, private. Yeah, 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 yeah. more of the private sector. And, I mean, anyone who's ever spoken to me, I'm just, like, so, so frowny face on privatisation of services, mm. especially essential services. And I, you'd have to argue that housing is the most essential service. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I'm really sceptical about how the private industry is going to run and they've been pretty poorly regulated in the past. So, yeah. Yeah. Just... I mean, it it did kind of shine the spotlight on how, like, dire and how underfunded and poorly run that place was. Like, Mm. one lift, only one lift working, like, lots of, you know, all these, like, shared kind of, like, laundry facilities and some of them weren't working and and the whole process itself of, like, having this massively punitive response to Mm. a situation and not involving anyone from the community or, you know, providing information to people in their own languages. I mean, it was, yeah, absolute absolutely horrific we really really don't look after our migrant communities no and you know you think about people in public housing are you know by definition going to be some of the most vulnerable people Mm. in the state that's um pretty depressing (laughs) however (laughs) there is hope uh so i spoke with irini from uh renters and housing union 
And they were actually, like when the, we're talking about lockdown, Renters and Housing Union were one of the collectives to get together to organise food drop-offs to AMSA. So we had like... I was actually involved then, so I'm allowed to say we. <laughs> Not so much at the moment. We were coordinating like spots throughout the city where people could go and drop off food. Yeah, and they were collecting amazing. the food and like, driving it to AMSA. And then AMSA was distributing it when we could. Yeah. Because apparently only frozen pies and weird gross food was allowed in the facility. It was very strange. Yeah, it was. A, and I remember the early days and like, you know, people get not getting like culturally appropriate food. Yeah. And, you know, people with babies not being able to get nappies and like yeah, it was gross and yeah, weird really and frightening it I must can... have been yeah i can't imagine what it was like for people yeah yeah times. yeah yeah it's pretty depressing anyway we'll go to the interview because <laughs> <laughs> that's less depressing and i think it's really important to highlight the work that like different communities do you know how hard different communities work and like grassroots organizations yeah. like Rahu and like all of the advocacy that's gone into the you know hours and hours and hours and that, that the groups that were able to actually you know like really support the people in public towers and how much you know we owe to people doing probably unpaid stuff largely oh majority yeah. of the people who were involved with and donating so much of their time and their, yeah. their money yeah how thankful we need to be for them yeah we'll go to the interview and so uh yeah so i just spoke with irene from renters and housing union hi leah i'm doing really well thanks for having me it's awesome to be able to do this with you yeah it's been ages how are you I'm doing good. Yeah, it's been a really good week um, and I guess generally a pretty pretty epic year. So essentially we're here to talk about the Renters and Housing Union, but what is the Renters and Housing Union? <laughs> well, Leah. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you about unions and new unions. So this year, the hell year that was COVID-19 2020, saw a huge rise in rent strike and a global sort of spark about striking on rent payments because everyone's already in insecure work and everyone's already living hand to mouth and no one can afford rent, Mm. particularly when like even in the insecure work that people had, they didn't have the ability to work anymore. So like all of the pre-existing issues that and oppressions that people in insecure work have had, the working class has had for years, um, has just like exploded and exacerbated due to COVID-19. And we all like get that. Mm. I think everyone's felt that in different ways, even like frontline workers um, in retail and in nursing have felt that even though they've still had work during the pandemic. All of these pre-existing conditions um, were exacerbated. So in um, so-called Melbourne Kulin Nations, um, the IWW set up a petition and a pledge to strike on rental payments um, for the length of the pandemic and its effects. And that went national very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so we saw 20,000 people um, sign up to that within the first month, which was just massive. And through that, a lot of people locally were organising in the, like neighbourhood groups to Um, make sure that we could sort of organise and prepare for what could happen in the next couple of months. And, yeah, the call to to cancel rent um, was connected globally and out of that we formed a union, which is pretty huge. Um, not (laughs) It's not something I've done before um, or that any of us had done before, really. So um, Honestly, how many people have 
like started a union though. Yeah, I mean, like, there's been a pretty huge wave for like, you know, active organising from the ground floor, like from the shop floor or from like local, um, in local ways and like student movement and the teachers union, um, NTEUs also like, obviously this year has had a pretty big impact on them doing similar stuff. I guess for us, it was long-standing issues for decades mm. um, of like, really lax legislation and really long-term landlord exploitation <laughs> of renters. There's not a lot of accessible information about our rights. There's not a lot of practical information about how we can fight back um, because we're all so like, you know, so used to paying exorbitant rent because of the market rate or whatever that, you know, there's no rent capped, there's no standardization. But also it's just like the retaliation that we could have by fighting for our rights or standing up to our landlord to say, no, you can't just turn up any day that you want. Like you can't just rock up and and harass us basically. Because if we were to say something like that, they could just evict us, right? Like they could just say, no, nope, don't want you living there anymore. Yeah, it's a long, like there's a longer standing um, history and the only way we can push back against longer standing issues is to collectivize and like understand our shared issues as renters mm. um, we only have power together and we only have power in a union that way so like it's been really really amazing to to speak to folks about like what's your standard rent you know like how crazy is it that you're paying a thousand dollars a month for something that doesn't even have running water or like has a gas leak or <laughs> has black mold. It's oh, just hi, like, hi. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Similar to like when you're in a workplace, your boss doesn't want you to know how much each other gets paid, right? Mm. Like bosses hate it when you talk about what your wage difference is with each other. So for us, um, you know, talking about what our standard rent is with each other and what the same behaviours of agents and landlords has been on us is a really good way to start showing each other like, okay, this is what we can organise against. Yeah, absolutely. But um, why do we need Rahu when we already have the Tenants Union? The, do you mean Tenants Victoria? Are they, yeah. are they not actually a union? Um, they formed as a union in the 70s and 80s. Um, but as far as I know, they're not a union anymore. Like, they're not member run. Um, it's not a standard union in that sense. So what the fuck is it? <laughs> Tenants Victoria is um, a peak body uh, advocacy organisation. It's 99% funded by the Victorian government. Cool. And that funding comes from a few different places like consumer mm. affairs um, and, yeah, different forms of government funding. And it provides um, good legal information on their, on their website, but it doesn't actually allow people to collectively um, organise together. Oh, wow. If that makes sense. Yes. It's an advocacy, not a self-advocacy. Oh, my God. I always thought that Tenants Victoria was somewhere that I could go, but it's not really. It's just a... You can definitely go to get Tenants information, Victoria. But not really. Get, yeah. I mean, when, when the pandemic hit, um, Tenants Victoria shut their, like, um, casework lines, I guess, their um, phone lines and, and stuff because they were probably influxed with people calling to say, I can't pay my rent. Yeah. What can I do? Um, so, like, their website's got some information that can be really handy when you want to ask about legal specifics. Um, but in terms of having, like, a collective organisation run by and for renters, 
that's mm. why we've needed Rahu. And 30 years of inadequate legislation for share housing, for example, we've not got anything in the Act that talks about what our rights are in a share house, which is kind of crazy when you think about how long we've all been living in share houses for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we haven't been able to put a picture frame um, on our own walls in our rentals in like legally speaking for 30 years you know there's a few things there where it's like it requires a far more hardline radical mm. approach that comes from a collective voice of renters themselves to say this is this is how we're we're living yeah. and this is what we need yeah amazing tell me about the achievements of rahu Surely, uh, I would love to. It's been really exciting. Um, yeah, since we unionised in May, um, it's been amazing. We had a couple of caseworkers who are people who work like um, in more detail with uh, renters who come to us with you know queries and issues, and we've grown that from three people to nine now, um, which is amazing. And like you know, through that, we'll make accessible information for infographics on our social medias as well about common issues like urgent repairs. What do I do? How can I get what I need? Um, so that's been, that's been huge. And we've handled over 200 cases since May. Some of those we've I'm handled so for like, <laughs> some of those we've handled for like months and months and months. Um, and we've gone from negotiation all the way through to VCAT with them. And we had um, two huge wins uh, a few weeks ago with two temporary visa holders in separate cases defend themselves against eviction at VCAT. And we also negotiated for over $20,000 in debt to be waived as well for each person in those cases. Some other wins we've had more recently uh, have been that, you know, we've been demanding an eviction ban until 2021 in September. Uh, we've been demanding for rent to be waived, for arrears to be waived, rental debts to be waived. And we've been campaigning around that and the moratorium's extension since March of this year. Yesterday, we saw um, the Federation of Community Legal Centres come out with recommendations that rent arrears should be waived and that, you know, VCAT and other legal schemes need to come up with mechanisms to waive those rent arrears which is really um like quite massive like it's historic to see you know a legal body can come out with a far more radical line like for a particularly historic year um i think moves like that have been really integral and we've done the work there to make sure that our voice as renters is heard by those who are meant to be supporting renters yeah. Um, so that's been really massive. And, you know, with the recent announcement of social housing that the government is pumping $6.5 billion into, we've mm -hmm. taken the firm line from this whole year that we need to fund public housing. Mm -hmm. And we're, you know, interested to see what happens because we don't want to see more public funds going to private gains. Um, mm -hmm. You know, social housing models will will cap rent at 30% of someone's income, but there's no kind of boundaries or oversight on how many capped properties, dwellings um, are made compared mm -hmm. to how many private ones they also build in the same complex. Whereas with public, it's different and it's 20% of someone's income or 25%. So yeah, for us, it's been really interesting to see that all of a sudden there's a whole like slate of um, housing policy and funding that's coming up 
in the next couple of years. And it's a really, really good time for people to organize together, to join a renters union and to push for what we need because we'll start to like, we'll be able to push harder. Yeah. Amazing. Like from the, from humble beginnings. Yeah. To, it was to really giant great. achievements. Yeah. I was so proud. I think, I don't know if there was a tier, but it was like a very, yeah, it was yeah it's, incredible. it's well pretty done. amazing. And the, the other great thing about it is that like, there are more and more of those cases coming yeah. up. Um, and more members are joining knowing that like they can defend themselves in that way yeah and they've started organizing with each other about it too because we've got a temporary visa holder committee set up so um yeah people are starting to organize together and support each other through some pretty stressful stuff yeah yeah it's fucking amazing Speaking of the different collectives at Rahu, I, one of the things I really liked when I was there was the the culture and it's really supportive and inclusive. How important do you think this is for a movement? Um, really important. It's <laughs> yeah. like the easy <laughs> answer on that. Um, I think, yeah, like within Rahu, we've come from really, really different backgrounds and different ideologies and experiences. And that's been really refreshing. Like it's mm. been amazing. We've never met in person this whole year for a lot of us anyway and we've been spending like almost every day with each other on zoom or like in at least weekly or fortnightly meetings you know um and that's been really exciting because like we've brought totally different um experiences together and I think the common thread obviously is that we're all renters Mm. um so that's been huge and I think that's fostered a really open and inclusive dynamic in the union I think that's really uh, obviously really important and I think within the left we can kind of fracture and factionalize based on our particular ideology and stuff but I think when you've got a broader purpose Mm. and a broader kind of goal that you know we're all renters regardless of our political Mm -hmm. beliefs um, or like factional beliefs there's some pretty key and broad demands around a right to have a home a right to an affordable place to live the right for people to have public housing you know, there's like things like that, that I think make it easier to see and organize together without having those kinds of splits. Yeah. Amazing. Um, But, you know, in saying that there needs to be active, you know, you need to still be conscious of who's in the room, who's dominating the, the narrative. Personally, you know, I come from being a feminist and, and queer and like a lot of my friends come from that sort of seen as well but you know we've got people in the union who are like a fair bit older from different generations um and like it's yeah it's not hard for people to kind of be like oh cool I'm still learning or you know whatever it might be like I think it's it's taught each other a lot more about industrial union organizing mm-hmm. um it's taught a lot of folks yeah we're just we're learning a lot from each other yeah amazing yeah. so that sounds incredible uh, how how can we sign up I know how I can, but like, yeah. Yeah, well, you're a member, babe. (laughs) But I'm a member, actually. True, true. (laughs) Oh, people can sign up um, at rahu, R A H U dot org dot AU. Uh, that's our website and we've got a whole group of awesome folks who are adding like blog posts um particularly the last one our fellow member holly total legend has just done a great blog about the difference between private housing models and public housing models so like oh my god that's incredible yeah the private social and community housing and what Mm. the differences are between them so that's um yeah there's a lot going on on the website but you can sign up there 
um, rahu.org.au. And we have a sliding scale um, dues system. So if you are currently waged, you know, you can pay uh, $10 a month. If you're not waged, it's a dollar a month. And for folks who are First Nations, it's an optional donation. Um, so it's $0 dues for First Nations folks. Um, and for temporary visa holders, it's also zero dollars. Amazing, very cool. Yeah, I think it's um it's been really interesting as well to have conversations from the rent strike onwards about the difference between like landlords owning land, right, mm. and us as renters renting those properties, mm. and how we can incorporate an understanding of decolonization and land rights. Mm. within that so when the rent strike started we're like strike on rent right so like we're not paying rent cancel rent but at the same time we were like how does this link to paying the rent because paying the rent to first nations people whose land we're living on um still totally can make sense with that conversation and Mm. it's an interesting interesting thing when jabberongs happened as well to talk about eviction and displacement yeah um you know and and that and we've been yeah very um conscious of incorporating that within our union um so each each um quarter of the year we voted to um pay 10 percent of our total bank account to pay the rent and um as this will be the month our first quarter Mm -hmm. um we'll be doing that in December that's really which is only a tiny thing it's it's cool it, it's really cool and I'm glad that our union is doing it, but it's only a portion of like, you know, a, um, a paying the rent sort of yeah. idea. Yeah. It, does set, it does set a really good precedent though for what the union's about and like and acknowledging and recognising that. Yeah, I mean, our acknowledgement um, is that, you know, First Nations peoples are first and foremost affected by displacement dispossession and housing insecurity and we see that at every level like mm-hmm. as a settler you know I can only understand that in a particular way like I can't know what that has been like yeah but I think it's really important for us to understand the difference between being someone in precarious housing who is trying to rent a place to live um, in accordance with the free market economy that we've mm. been stuck with Versus someone whose land it belongs to and who's got an 800,000 year history here Mm. Um, and like what the effects of colonisation and the free market has done to that like existence and history. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Thank you so much. Of course. Thanks thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. So thanks, Irene, for that. That was great. Sounds like they're doing amazing work. Yeah, it's um, absolutely incredible. And, you know, what a year, like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it really highlights how cool it is and what we can actually do as a community as opposed to, like, we keep trying to lobby to the government to do stuff for us on our behalves, but we can actually just do this ourselves. Like, we don't have to, as great as Trades Hall is, we don't have to go to Trades Hall and ask their permission for stuff all the time. We can actually just get organised as a community and, and just do it ourselves. We don't actually need permission to do this. And I think um, Irene, was Irene, saying, yeah. Irene was saying about, like, um, being able to support housing and to VCAT for people who are on um, temporary visas. Yeah. I think is, like, you know, there's been one of the... the um, 
you know, they're not saying my, use my words. Um, <laughs> use your words, Katie. Yeah. <laughs> Um, being, you know, the, being so in, um, incredibly like hard done by by the COVID. I know yeah. that's, that's not sort of the right. I'm not capturing the right term at all. Oh no, absolutely. They've been disproportionately affected by COVID. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's yeah. it. And you know, being able to um, like support people who, yeah, being work that you know goes out to to support some you know most kind of marginalized people at the moment Mm. um is so vital and i know oh like it can be really difficult to provide that housing support to people if they're not you know they're not eligible for centrelink and stuff like that Mm. it can can be really difficult kind of you you know kind of like well where to now so it's really great to see that you know there's some amazing work being done yeah and being supported by the legal center as well it's fantastic yeah and that's kind of cool as well i suppose with social housing like if people if their incomes go to zero, yeah, I suppose that. I, but I guess that social housing so will only be eligible people who are eligible. Be, yeah, you have to be a permanent resident. Um, so, and that I think that sort of this COVID thing has really highlighted the um, enormous gap in kind of supports and the the precarious kind of about social sort of safety net and things of things like Centrelink and community housing. But it it like really doesn't exist for um some of the most you know marginalized and vulnerable mm. in our community of you know like asylum seekers who aren't eligible for the covid payment and you, you know oh. people on temporary visas and um god did you hear about what they're, they're doing to refugees at the moment i this is a while ago and my memory is shocking but essentially they have sent out letters being like this is your final notice or yeah. something like that 7 a.m so, has a really great couple of few articles and series on um like dutton's war and refugees dutton you can't yeah um but yeah essentially forcing people underground yeah yep so that they're not they're off the books looks like they've solved the problem it's it's, yeah it makes me sick yeah it's really it's all about pens and paper and graphs and optics it's just they don't care about people's actually lives which is again another reason to organize in your community that's what it, like covid like shone a light and i keep using this phrase neoliberalism is a cum stain and covid is the black light <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite oh, I metaphor like yeah yeah i really like that but it, it it's it's so so true it's just covid's really highlighted so many yep. issues and so many problems within our community oh, and absolutely. culture yeah. and the solution to these problems is in our communities and it, it's it's getting rid of this individualism that's that's come from capitalism and going back to a community framework and a community base like more mutual aid please mm-hmm. more community unions and it's you love to see it yep. more rahu more Rafu, more United Voices. Awesome. I'm really tired and a bit hungover. <laughs> is, there, is there anything else you wanted to add? No. Nah, no. Nah. Let's leave it there. Yeah. Brilliant. I think I've very badly said all I kind of wanted to say. I <laughs> think. Perfect. I write a lot better than I talk, I think. Yeah, because you can backspace. Yeah. <laughs> undo, undo. I don't know about here. Control, delete. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks everyone, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for having me again. Oh, always, babe. Love you, Carly. Sorry about your stupid work. Yeah. Bye.